and uh, continuing this series of uh, lessons from the early church, we have this week uh, the relevant church uh, taken from this passage in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. This is one of my favorite miracle accounts in the Bible. And uh, I, I, I remember it almost got me into a little bit of trouble, actually, uh, some 20 over years ago. Uh, I remember this was uh, maybe about 22, 23 years ago, and um, I was asked by, invited by one of our churches in the East to speak to them uh, on community penetration, building bridges uh, to the community. Uh, that Saturday, Friday evening, one of my partners in the firm, a very good friend of mine, called me up and uh, this was something that we usually do, all right? He'll say, hey, Viming, this weekend, um, can we switch cars, right? Uh, now, this, this partner is well-known in the firm. He drives the fanciest, the sleekest sports cars in the, in the firm. So he has a beautiful two-door Mercedes-Benz Cabriolet. Uh, so he called me up and said, you know, I'm going out with some clients this weekend. Uh, can we switch cars now? Yeah, your car, four doors, right? I, I, you, you drive my car and I drive your car. I say, okay, sure, of course, yeah. I, I, I don't mind, you know, having a sports car to run around from time to time. These were pre-elder days, all right? I wasn't an elder in the church at that time, so I was free to drive wherever I like to drive. So I say, okay, good, all right, we switch cars. So Saturday morning, we switch cars. Saturday afternoon, the church inviting me to speak the following morning on Sunday called me and says, Brother Vimeng, uh, just to remind you, tomorrow um, you, you are speaking at our church, right? I say, yeah, 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 I'll be there speaking at the church. says, um, okay, good. Now, we reserve a car park lot for you uh, in our church car park. I say, oh, no, no, it's okay. I, I know I, 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 I don't mind walking a little bit. I say, no, no, this is the very least we can do for our speakers, right? Just come. A uh, couple of our elders will be there waiting for you at the car park. It's not a very big car park, you know, maybe just a few lots, but we'll reserve one lot for you. We honour our speakers. I say, okay, that's very nice of you. All right, thank you. I'll see you tomorrow morning. So put the phone down. And that night, as I was going through the message again, I was telling myself, hey, tomorrow I'm going to this church. They hardly know me. I'm speaking on living the simple life, <laughs> community penetration, Show love to your community. And here I'm driving in this very loud Mercedes, two doors, which isn't even my car. How am I going to tell people that this is not my car? So I said, no, 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 no. Tomorrow morning, I got to go early to church, okay? Then I'm going to drive around the neighborhood and find the nearest public car park, park this stupid car there, and then I'll walk to the church, which is what I did. So I left special early, especially early, looked for a public car park, parked the car there, and then walked to church. And true enough, the elders of the church were there waiting for me. He says, hey, Brother Viming, why, we, we reserve a car park lot for you. Um, where, where's your car? I was tempted to tell them, silver and gold, I have none. Right? But I thought that's really pushing it. So I told them, thank you very much. You know, but uh, it's okay. Just an early morning walk all right, uh, would be good for me. So that's Acts chapter 3, verse 6 for us. Okay? Which concludes the message I have to, today for all of us. Right? Just <laughs> learn to live simply. Maintain a good testimony to the community and don't stumble everybody, all right? But um, I think, I think uh, this verse probably has something more, okay, for all of us. And let's try to look into it and see what is it that the Lord wants us to hear this afternoon. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, 
that you love the lost so much. And that, Father, Lord, the poor and the weak have a special place in your heart. And you call upon your church, Father, Lord, to be a church uh, for the weak and for those, Lord, who are poor. And we ask of you, Lord, this day, you will teach us how to see as you see, how, Lord, to stretch out the hand to help as you often help us, Lord. And how, Father, as we do all this, we glorify you. Help us, teach us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All right, church, so this is Acts chapter 3, verse 6. And Peter said, silver and gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Okay? I think it's important for us maybe to have a little bit of the context and look at the 10 verses within which all right, this verse uh, can be found. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, the ninth hour has a special significance. Okay? It is also the hour where Lord Jesus gave up his spirit on the cross at Calvary. All right? It's about 3 p.m., in the afternoon. So it's a significant hour, it's a significant time of the day where sacrifices are made uh, by the Jews. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. And alms are uh, contributions made uh, by the people who attend the, the, the temple uh, for, the poor, for the poor and for the handicapped. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Now look at um, Luke, the author of, of Acts, and how he described uh, quite vividly and in detail the strengthening which comes or which came uh, into this lame man. And so he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement of what had happened to him. So it is um, a short story but it is pregnant with a lot of lessons and a lot of observations that we can make from this short account. We see, of course, two of the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, two of the apostles, uh, who went together to the temple to pray. It's a reminder to us that it is important to continue to gather together, to go to the house of God together, and to be found praying at the time when it is uh, uh, set aside to pray. Uh, we, we also saw um, the account uh, of how uh, Peter told this beggar, look at me, all right, look at me. And he saw the need of this beggar and said, look at me. And then this beggar says, you know, was looking at him with the expectation to receive something. 
And Peter told him, silver and gold I do not have, but that which I have in Jesus Christ I give to you. Reached out and then lifted him up. And he was able not just to walk, but to leap. And then most importantly, the posture of his heart. And I think there's just so much joy that entered the life or the heart of this beggar. Right? So the first time in his life, 28, 30 years of his life, no joy, just hope day after day, just hoping to get by in that day. But he got something far more than what he expected when he first asked Peter and John for arms. He got far more, and that is why his joy was just overflowing. And we know that Peter and John got into trouble later on with the authorities for one, for healing a man. But this man, this lame beggar, his response gave us some lessons. And the lesson is that when you are healed, when you have received the touch of God, and God has done something in your life, remember that. Remember that and give thanks to Him. Okay, the outline today, we are looking at um, just four very simple outlines. The first, we look at the eyes and the vision of the disciple. We then look at the power of the disciple. And then this phrase, silver and gold, I do not have. And then the conclusion. Okay? So that's, that's, uh, we'll, we'll look at that outline. First, the eyes and the vision of the disciple. We see first that Peter and John, they saw the lame man. Now, there must have been a lot of people going in and out of the temple every day, and that's the hour of prayer. So probably more people going into the temple at that time than at the normal time, at, the, at any other hour in the day. So out of all the activity, out of all the human traffic, Peter was able to see this man lying outside this gate called Beautiful. It's a majestic gate, according to historians, what, 75 feet tall, probably the most outstanding and the most beautiful gate uh, around the temple. Uh, and then against the backdrop of the magnificence of this gate, you have this man who was lame since birth, um, his friends, his good friends. It's amazing that a man who has got nothing to give would have good friends to carry him to the temple every day, not forget that he's at the temple because, you know, sometimes, um, you know, we forget that um, our wife is still waiting for us, you know, in the restaurant and we go off somewhere. I have got a colleague who, who repeatedly forgets that he's driven, you know, and that he's left his car and he just goes home <laughs> and forgets about the car until the next day. But his friends, the friends of this lame man, doesn't forget that they have to bring him back home and the following day bring him back to the temple. So Peter and John saw the lame man. And as we read for the next few verses, we, we, we get this idea that not only did they see the lame man, they saw the various levels of need. They saw a beggar. They saw a man with a physical infirmity or a physical handicap. They saw that he was lame. And they saw that he was a sinner, lost, lost and stranger to the love of God. And then we'll also see that they are able to see as God sees. You know, of all the organs 
in the human body. One of the most amazing to me, and certainly one of the most important, you know, we always regard the heart as the most important, right? I mean, you, you only have one heart. You lose the heart, something goes wrong with your heart, you're in serious trouble. But really, one of the organs that we have in the body that's very important are the eyes. You know, if your finger is hurting or if your leg is uh, hurting a little bit, you know, from time to time, you, you just say that, look, I, I can make do with that limp. I can overcome that pain. I can ignore it. But when something is wrong with your eyes, it's very hard to ignore that. Because every time you open your eyes, you can see whatever it is that is disturbing you. If you, you know, many of us, we go on trips, on holidays, we go trekking, or the bus brings us up to a nice point up somewhere in the mountains, and we all disembark from the bus, and we look down at the valley below and say, what a beautiful sight. How creative is our God? Oh, this is beautiful, you know. Got to take a picture to record, freeze frame this beautiful scene. Got to preserve this and bring it back home and show it all to my, all my friends, right? But somehow, you whip up your camera, your iPhone 12 or 11 or whatever, the latest you have. You take the photograph, you look at it. It's nice. But it's somehow not as nice as what your eyes see. You know, so you, you take out the video, right? And you do the panographic, panoramic view, right? But still, it's not quite the same because with one sweep of the eye, you see everything. And, and you just wish, you know, that your parents are next to you. You just wish, you know, that your children are next to you and you can just tell them how beautiful it is. So nothing can replace the eye. You know, the binoculars, of course, it, 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 it enables you to see from objects that are far away. But it's cumbersome. It's clumsy. You know, sometimes just getting the binoculars up, eh, there's a whale over there. By the time you've tried to figure it out, the whale has gone. You know, so it's easier just with your naked eye you know, just to see the whale and just to enjoy it for it, for it is. But, you know, this, this eye is just an amazing instrument. And it, it allows the light to go in. It allows the light to hit at the back, you know, of, of, of the eye. And it captures the image. And that is why I think the Bible says that, the, the, the psalmist says, you know, that we are wonderfully and fearfully made. You know, this, this eye on its, on its own, this small little object gadget, you know, for most of us, it's going to serve us well. 70, 80, 90 years of our lives. No problems. But the mechanical properties of the eye is only the beginning of the wonder and the marvel that God puts into us. You know, because if you take the eye out, it really isn't very useful because you can't upload it into something and see the images captured inside. What is more marvellous, perhaps, is not just the mechanical properties of the eyes, brothers and sisters. It's the gift of sight. The gift of sight. That somehow, this eye, connected with the nerves behind it, connected to the brain, allows an object or a scenery in front to appear exactly as it is. Same size, same colour, same shape, everything the same as it appears in front of you to be communicated to the back of the eye. And then this is communicated to the brain. 
And then you see the object as it is. You know, medical science can study the eye. Medical science can explain to us, you know, for those of us, the eye specialists here in our midst, you'll be able to explain how this all happens. But medical science cannot explain how God did this. Medical science cannot explain why God made the eye the way he did. And if something goes wrong with, with, with your eye, you lose your eye, for instance. You know, something smashes into your eye, and that can't be saved. You can't have your sight back for that eye. It just cannot be replaced. But there's something even more amazing than the sight that we have, brothers and sisters. It is that when the image goes into our brain and we see it, by some miracle, it gets recorded in our brain. So that the picture that we see, this wonderful face, this wonderful act, this wonderful movie, this beautiful hall, we can see it again and again in our minds, a thousand times, many years later. There is something that God gives us, together with the eyes, that allows us, together with sight, to store the images that we see. And that's not all. God allows us, as we see images, to link images. God allows us to draw trends, to understand things, to understand situations and persons and people. And God allows us, through our sight, to see that He is at work. You know, many people ask, God, give me signs and wonders. And the people in the early church asked for signs and wonders. And what does God say? God says, you just look around you. You look at the lilies in the field. Why are you anxious about anything? Why are you worried about what you should eat or what you should wear? Look at the lilies of the fields. They don't have to worry. And yet I clothe them with such colour, with such vivid beauty, that actually even... Solomon cannot compare. But if I will do this for the lilies of the field, just imagine how much more I will do for you. So actually, brothers and sisters, if we open our eyes and we see around us, you will see the miracles of God at work. You know, if someone today comes to you and says, well, you know, these are the lilies, you know, that I have um, bought for you. And you look at it and says, well, thank you very much. It's nice. But you, t you tell this person, you know, if you come and tell me today that you're going to give me lilies and suddenly I see a bunch of lilies appear before me, whew, I'll tell you that's a miracle. Then I'll truly be amazed. Then my attention will truly be grabbed. But if you remind yourself, how did these lilies come about? How did the fruits come about? They come from a simple seed. And from this simple seed, someone places it in soil, and that seed takes root, and the stem comes up, and the leaves grow, and the flowers come out, and then the seeds come out again, and they fall onto the ground, and that miracle repeats itself. That miracle of life, brothers and sisters, all of us, or the majority of us, Cease to see and we fail to appreciate because we need something extraordinary. 
before we say, ah, that's a miracle. But something which follows the order that God puts in, we say it's ordinary and it's commonplace. So, in the eyes of Peter and John, God taught Peter to see as God wants him to see. A broken man and a man needing help in the midst of the many people moving in and out. And God taught Peter what he should see and to see the levels of need, that of a beggar, that of a lame man, and that of a sinner. And from the experiences that Peter had, to then know in that situation, what level of need should he respond to? Should he respond to the need of a beggar or a lame man or a sinner? And we know that day, at that hour, Peter reached out. He saw as the Lord led him to see, to respond to the highest need and the need of a sinner. He saw as God saw. You know, just this morning as the elders gathered for prayer, we got a message from Pastor Singh Lee to say, though I'm sorry this morning can't join because bring my mum to see uh, the ophthalmologist. Uh, well, to see the ophthalmologist. And I was just at the back of the church hall uh, with Pastor Singh Lee, and I was just asking, how's your mum? And he says, oh, mum went to see uh, the eye surgeon. Good thing on time, you know, cataract's gotten very bad. She just wouldn't say, just tahan, 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 you know. But the surgeon says, better do an op quickly. So they're going to bring her to do an op. And that led me thinking. You see, when an adult has cataract, there are things that you can do to save the eye. But there is a condition called congenital cataract, where the baby suffers cataract. Now the problem is when the baby suffers a cataract, actually there are two problems. First problem is the baby doesn't know how to tell you, mom, dad, I got cataract, right? Because the baby will just cry or the baby doesn't even know what is normal and what is abnormal. That's the first problem. Second problem is you've got to treat congenital cataract very quickly. You've got to treat it within three months, no later than six months. Why? Because the system is developing. When the young brain doesn't receive signals from the young eye, the brain and the lens and the nerves behind the eye ceases to behave as they should because there are no signals coming in. In an adult, you can say that you develop a lazy eye right? because the eye isn't working. But in the young baby, where the development is going very quickly, you need to be quick. After six months, you may not be able to save the sight of the, of the eye. So you need to be quick. And so the brain needs to be working. The whole sight system has to be in operation. So brothers and sisters, as Christians and as believers, this sight that we have, we're not talking so much about spiritual blindness, but we are talking about being able to see situations of need as God wants us to see. That if we continue to turn this blind eye to an obvious need around us, if we continue to ignore what Peter and John did in Acts chapter 3, we develop a lazy spiritual eye. And it may be too late later on 
to really be want to do something. Next point is, well, Peter told this beggar, look at us. Look at us. You know, many of us, when you want to give money or want to help a beggar, actually we try to avoid eye contact. Actually, we try not to have too much interaction. Okay, we don't know how to talk to them and just really want to give money and, and be done with it. But here, Peter not only looks and fixes his gaze upon that beggar, tells him, look at us. My life, my ambitions, take a look at me, see me, remember my face. In the old days, church, when a young practice trainee comes to a law firm and says, you know, I want to do, in those days we call pupillage. I want to be a pupil in the law. I want to be schooled in the art of lawyering. I want to learn how to be a gentleman and how to practice the law properly. So we say, okay, I accept you as a pupil. Okay? So the pupil comes in, polishes the, 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 the boss's shoes, brings the coffee, wipes the sweat off his forehead. No, it's not, 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 not as bad as that. But one of the things that the pupil does in the traditional law offices is that he sits in the same room as the boss. Because he learns not just what the boss does at work, but actually he listens to all the conversations. And those days, no handphone, you know? So the boss scolds the wife or gets scolded by the, boss, uh, by the wife. Huh? Yes, darling. Okay, okay, darling, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, that's my mistake. Okay, yes, I, I, should, I should wash the dishes tonight and all that. This young trainee hears everything and he sees everything. Because he wants to see the mannerisms, the values of a person who is learned in the law and learn those from him. So when Peter here says, look at us, he's opening up his life. And that's what we have to be prepared to do, my friends, brothers and sisters. Open up our lives. Invite others to look at us. And let our lives, our values, how we live our lives, be a model for others, be an inspiration for someone else. If someone can live a life like that, I want to be like him. I want to be like her. Not giving glory to that person, but giving glory to God for having raised a servant like him who can model for me very simply, very realistically, how a Christian ought to live, right? Then we now take a look at the power of the disciple. Now, you remember in that 10 verses, and one of the verses said that Peter then stretched out his hand to the lame man. He doesn't tell the lame man, now come, please give me your hand, right? And he says that, look, silver and gold, I have none, but such as I have, I give it to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now rise up and walk. And with that, he leaned over, picked up uh, the hand of the lame man, and then brought him up. And as I contrast this to Matthew chapter 14, verses 28 to 31, and this is the account of Peter walking on water. And we all know, right, you know, when he... When they first saw the Lord, they thought, oh, what, what is this? And when they realized it's the Lord, and then Peter says, Lord, if it's you, then I call out to me and walk towards you. And the Lord says, yeah, you come. Right? And then Peter got out and he started walking on water. 
but that's only for a short while. And then he suddenly realized, that, what am I doing? You know, the, 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 oh man, the, the water is dark. The winds are so strong. What am I doing walking on water? Is physically and by the laws of science and nature, it's not going to happen. And then he began to sink and he called out to the Lord. And what did the Lord do? The Lord stretched out his hand and pulled Peter out. So I think Peter, when that happened to him, Peter must have remembered that the Lord reached out and pulled him out in a very real and tangible way. Of course, you know, we are all not in that privileged position that Peter was, where we could feel the strength of the hand of God. But I'm sure we can testify, brothers and sisters, so many times when we're sinking in our problems, so many times we're wallowing in near depression, when the Lord just reached out his hand and pulled us out. So Peter learned faith, and then he exercised his faith. You know, Peter used the beauty of sight and of memory, which the Lord has given to him, and topped it up, you know, with what? With a grateful heart. And I think when the Lord, when he realized that he denied the Lord, as the Lord had predicted, and he wept, and when courage came upon him on the day of Pentecost, Peter not only had bonus, but Peter had gratitude. As he recalled how the Lord lifted him up, Peter likewise did, as an agent of the grace of God. He learned faith and he exercised faith. You know, friends, the power of the disciple comes not from the silver and gold that he carries, but from the Lord who carries him. So it's not how much money we put in our pockets today as we go out and want to bless the community, but really in our hearts, brothers and sisters, how full are our hearts with gratitude for the love of God? How grateful are we for what the Lord has done for us in our lives. Silver and gold, I do not have. And this is uh, just such a famous uh, phrase and it's been written into song. And for the last couple of days, you know, subconsciously I've been singing this song in my mind <laughs> as I prepare for this message and I, as I ponder over what I should share uh, with us all. And I have this song in my mind. I'm reminded of this story, and you find it all over the internet, it's, I'm not sure whether it's true, of a dialogue uh, that Thomas Aquinas had with Pope Innocent II. And in this story, the Pope was showing to Thomas Aquinas, uh, um, this saint and, 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 and this philosopher and theologian, um, just the wealth and the riches of Rome and the, and the, and the church. You know, and, and it's going through the amount of money that the church owns. And we all know, of course, you know, that the church today is a very, very rich institution. The Catholic Church and the Anglican Church, you know, they, they, they own property and vast tracts of land all over the world and even here in Singapore. Um, and, they are, and, and they are very wealthy. And, and the Pope turned to Thomas and to say, well, it can be said in these days that the church has found it very difficult, practically impossible to say, silver and gold, I have none. 
And at that point, Thomas Aquinas looked at the Pope and said, well, the holiness, it can also be said these days that the church has found it very difficult to say, rise up and walk. You know, when we become comfortable in our circumstances, confident in our own abilities, it is quite difficult because we find less and less opportunity to do so. It becomes quite difficult to tell another person, have faith, have faith. God will intervene in your circumstance. Now I want you to look at me and trust me. Now rise up and walk. And it's true that when everything is reduced to dollars and cents and what we have in our pocket, that it's perhaps more difficult to claim the promises of God. What might Peter have meant when he said that silver and gold have I none? Peter could have meant that actually he owned no silver and gold, and therefore he is enslaved to neither. That's possible. Peter could also be thinking that today as I do this, well, of course I have some silver and gold. And of course, even the early church, we know the believers would just bring all their belongings. They were bring their belongings um, uh, to, the, to the leaders. They were selling their belongings and then they were then sharing everything with one another and with the poor. So it's not entirely correct to say that they have no silver or gold. But that day, that day as Peter approached this lame beggar, he was not going to offer him silver or gold. And so the silver and gold is not meant for this beggar. He was offering something better. Now this beggar didn't expect more than to get through the day. But God, through Peter, was going to give him so much more. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, we all know this. No eye has seen, eye has not seen, nor ears have heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. You know, our eyes cannot fully see or comprehend all that the Lord has, give, has laid up for us. And so this is exactly the state of this, this, this lame beggar. He hoped only to have some arms, some money to get through the day. But God gave him so much more. You know, church, we must use the talents that God has given to us. We must learn to use what is it that the Lord has given to us. You know, some of us sometimes say that, I want to do something for God. I want to help out in BCS. I want to go out to the community. You know, but I'm not a friendly person. I do not know how to talk. I do not know how to use uh, dialects. And I'm not good with speech. I'm not good relationally. So, you know, I, I'm lacking in so many things. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 tells us that what? We are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece, created for good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do, brothers and sisters. So if any one of us wants to do any good deed today, I can assure you that even if you think that you do not have the skills or the talents to do so, God will give it to you. You know, every time when I look at Ephesians 2.10, I'm reminded of the James Bond movies, you know, all right, 007, okay? 
In every 007 movie, you will find that before James Bond was sent out on a mission, he meets Q or K or whatever it is, right? Another secret agent. And this guy will come and show him the latest uh, Colgate toothpaste or the latest toothbrush or the watch, right? All of which contains some special device that will help him out at some vital point of his mission, right? So His Majesty's government will not send any of their agents into a mission without making sure that they are adequately prepared. And I can tell you, brothers and sisters, our glorious, majestic Father, likewise, will not send us out into any mission without giving us the talents which are fit for that mission. It may be silver and gold. It may sometimes be that. But very often, it is not. So we are encouraged in yet another parable to use every talent, not to allow our talent to go to waste, but to make sure that there is faithfulness in our use and the utilization of these talents. All of God's gifts are to result in the giving away for someone else. And so if we have a good voice, let's sing for the glory of God. Let's serve in the worship team. Let's, uh, like a group of young people now, you know, they, they, they band together, they make music videos, and they send out these music videos to cell groups, to small churches. What to do what? To bless them in their meetings so that, you know, you don't have to go around just trying to look and download uh, uh, worship songs. They do that. You got a good voice? You sing for the Lord. You know how to play musical instruments? Why keep it away? Why not share it? Train other musicians. Band together with other musicians and make joyful music to the Lord and bless other believers. You have a good voice. You know, um, you love the Word. Then be a teacher of the Word. Volunteer in Sunday school. Do something. If you've got good legs, you know, go out there, volunteer. Help carry groceries uh, for the seniors. Uh, bring them to see uh, a doctor or help clean up their homes if you've got physical strength. Every strength that we have, we use it for, your, for God's glory. As a writer who says that these are the various streams of God's talents and God's blessings into our lives. But if we do nothing about that and we dam around it, we build a wall around it, as these streams come into our lives, they collect into a pond. And what happens after a while when the water is stagnant? There's no life in that water. The bacteria gets inside there. And instead of fragrance, you get a smell of a different kind. So use our talents. Use the talents that God has given to us. In conclusion, some points. You know, friends, how many of these do we tick off as we read the 10 verses of Acts chapter 3? We go together to the temple. You know, we go to a place of worship. We encourage one another. We pray together. We see those who need help and who need Jesus. That you have the eyesight, the sight that God gives us to be able to see and to look into situations. You walk around in the church, you see a cleaner and this lady is just standing by the window and she's just looking out into the window. Well, maybe there's something about her that you can find out that's 
God may have given us that prompting and help us to see according to what He sees. Silver and gold I do not have. Maybe this is the only box some of us will take. That when someone asks us for help, we say, sorry, uh, today I got no money. Sorry, today I got no time. Sorry, your problem needs a counsellor. I'm not a counsellor. Sorry, your problem I think is a medical problem. Better go and see a doctor. Oh, how to get to a doctor? Oh, you can take a bus or call Grab. See? So maybe this is the only box that some of us take. We strengthen the needy and the weak in the name of Jesus. We lift up others that they may rise up and walk. Because of what we do, others will be filled with wonder and amazement and give thanks to God. One of the questions I ask myself each time I read this miracle about this miracle is why didn't Jesus heal this man during his ministry? You know, the Lord would have gone to the temple many times. This man goes there every morning. Every morning he goes there to beg. And then why didn't Peter heal him until so many days have passed? I can think only of this, that the Lord's will to heal must coincide with His timing and His grace. You know, the Lord can heal, of course, at any time. The Lord finally healed this lame beggar. But, this, but the Lord, I think, in His mercy and in His grace, reserved this for Peter. Because this is the first recorded miracle of the apostles. Certainly one of the earliest. May not be the earliest, right? But the first recorded miracle after Pentecost. And there must be something special about this miracle that happened on the ninth hour. And I think the Lord in His grace, in His goodness, allowed Peter that day to look again at this beggar with different eyes, with different sight. And something about what he saw that day caused Peter to stop, fix his gaze upon this man and give him the gift of eternal life. You know, it brings my mind back to an event which took place many years ago and I was in Raffles Place and my office was there some years back and I realised on a couple of mornings that there appeared at Raffles Place and, and hundreds of people crossed that big atrium just outside UOB building. There's an old man pushing his daughter on a wheelchair. And I saw them for about two or three mornings. And each time as I saw them, I said to myself, what a loving father. You know, although this poor girl is smitten, with this handicap and cannot work. But she has the love of her father. And the man would just push his daughter around. On the third or the fourth day, when I saw them again, and the same thing was going up to my office. But something, the Lord spoke to me. And I saw very differently. And of a father and this poor girl, maybe just struggling and needed, needing some encouragement. They were not begging, you know. He was just pushing her through. And so I ran out 
I ran out of my office building, ran across Raffles Place, and I saw them and pushed them some money and told them that God loves them and tried to encourage them. But that's it. And that's it. They never came back again another time. But it reminds me again, brothers and sisters, that God peels away what we see. There is no right, there is no wrong. But you need to sensitize your heart, your spirit with the Spirit of God. And God will reveal to us the right thing to do according to His timing. Peter healed this lame man in the name of Jesus at the appointed time and place as God intended because he heard the Lord and he saw the Lord. And that's what we need to learn to do, my friends. To have eyes that see, not spiritual blindness, but to be able not just to avoid spiritual blindness, but eyes that are able to discern and identify every divine appointment that God has made for us. You know, there are so many miracles in the early church. And why was this the first recorded miracle? And I believe it is to illustrate and to emphasize that we are God's agent for change. Using His power, utilizing His talents, seeing as He sees. You know, sometimes we feel that there is a certain dryness in our life and it's very difficult to help another person. And in fact, when people tell us that we need to pray, we need to push on and push deeper into our faith, we need to help so-and-so and to and to do more for the less fortunate around us, it begins to grate on us. You know, I remember this story that my good friend, uh, Layong, Dr. Tan Layong, used to tell me. And he says that, you know, there was once, he was, just came down from his flat and he saw this, this little truck, you know, got stuck in the entrance of the multi-story car park. It was too high, right? They were stacking up something and it was too high. So it was stuck. They cannot go in and they can't come out. And people were crying out and say, you know, call AA, call this tow truck, call this, you know, you got to do this, you got to unscrew, you know, that, that, that metal railing on top and all that. And in the midst of all this commotion, an old man stepped forward with a yellow singlet. What did he do? He went to the tyres, first the back tyres. He went to let go some air from the back. Then he went to the front tyres. And he let go some of the air from the front tyres. And then the car came down. And the driver went into the car and slowly reversed and went away. You know, friends, when it becomes grating on us, the religion is very leche. Religion is very troublesome. Faith is a drag on me. Because I have to do this and I have to do that. I have to take out my money and to share with so-and-so. I've got to take up my time and to share with so-and-so. I've got to use up my Saturday afternoon instead of resting. I go forth and I run around with some youths who can't think for themselves. I've got to try to put their lives back in order for them. 
when we are a bit puffed up with our own needs, our own concerns, try letting go some air from our egos and letting God use His power to help us help a world that needs His help. So we use His power to utilize the talents that God has given to us to see as God sees. You know, friends, we need to stay relevant as believers in an unbelieving world. The world is changing and is full of trouble. This world needs men and women of power and of conviction to live our faith in a way which is relevant. And relevance, if you check up the Oxford Dictionary, means staying closely connected with the circumstance. For the Christian, it means staying closely connected with God so that we can closely and accurately present God to the community. Let us pray. Heads bowed, and maybe some of us here this afternoon, and we come here with a heavy heart because we know that we have been living for self. Silver and gold, in fact, are the objects of our life. And we find it very difficult to ask God or to trust in God to help others. There's anyone here this afternoon and you just want the Lord to just refresh us. Ask the Lord to encourage us. Ask the Lord to help us to be like Peter, to say to another, I take you by the hand and give you something that I have from Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. If God is speaking to you this afternoon, you raise your hands. Now pray for you. If you're asking for this fresh touch of God in your life, you raise your hands. As a sign to God that this afternoon, yes, you want to come back to Him and make a difference. Yes, I see your hand. Any more? Yes, I see your hand. At the back, yes. Yes. Thank you, dear God, for your love for the lost, for the, your love for the poor. We ask of you, dear Father, that truly you give us eyes that see. Eyes that see not just how privileged and how blessed we are, but eyes that see, Lord, just how pain your heart is for the many who are still strangers to your love and for the many, Lord, who are still struggling in life. So we ask of you, Lord, to use us. May you use us as channels of your blessings. And may we go about, Lord, as your agents for change, not using silver or gold or by our own strength, but by, our, by your power and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.